Amen. So glad you're here this morning. You can grab a seat. My name is Ben, one of the pastors here at Hope Church. Thrilled that you're with us to go through the book of Acts. If you do have a copy of the scriptures, you can tap or turn your way to Acts within the Bible there. If you don't have a copy, don't panic. We'll have those words on the screen for you. And we would love to gift you with a copy of the scriptures in a modern translation. Uh, the ESV, the NIV, NASB, there's all kinds of great translations that go back to the original languages and bring it into a modern English. We've got an ESV for you. That's what we use here at Hope Church. We'd love to gift you with that. So, you okay? Uh, it's okay. Yeah, I feel really awkward when people do that to me too. It's like, I don't know. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Just finish. What are you going to do? Uh, well, listen, I, I hope... Uh, through this study of the book of Acts to do a couple of different things or see a couple of different things accomplished. And the, the hope when we go through a text is to just receive whatever's there. The Bible has God's wisdom for us. We want to understand what it has to teach us. And the book of Acts in particular is sort of a foundational document for Christians because not only is it part of the Bible, but in the book of Acts we have the story of the creation of the church. Jesus came, had his ministry, and he finished his ministry with his death, his burial, his resurrection, and then his ascension. And the book of Acts begins where that story ends. The book of Acts begins with this group of disciples, apostles, that Jesus commissioned to go and to share the gospel with the whole of the world. And the functionary arm there, the piece that would be the support for be the, the tool that God uses to accomplish that task is the church. The church that you're a part of right now. I don't know if you're a part of Hope Church or not, you're just a guest with us this morning, but you're engaging with an attempt on our part to understand the Bible's teaching on what a church is and how it should look. Everybody generally, I mean, a lot of people now in America have grown up maybe not going to church, but most people at some point or another have either gone to churches or seen stuff on TV, and you have an idea in your head of what church is supposed to be. You have an idea of what it should look like and what things should be allowed and what things shouldn't be allowed. Maybe you're from one tradition, you visited another, and you were scandalized by either the incredible formality or the incredible informality. We look at the scripture to try and understand how a church should be put together, and yet the scripture doesn't give us a lot of input on whether or not it's okay to come to church in your Sunday best. That was a thing for a long time. And I have had somebody confront me with that before, and they said, well, if you were going to meet the governor... You would wear your best. Why would I not wear my best to stand before God? It's like, oh, good argument. Why do I have my shirt tail untucked and look a little schlubby when I come to Hope Church? Well, my comfortable informality is also on purpose. It's actually designed to hopefully make it a little bit easier if you're a guest to come and visit and feel at home. Not see me wearing some cool suit. I don't know there's cool suits, but not see me wearing some like really formal dress. And you wonder, okay, am I allowed here or am I not? Is it okay for the band to be loud on a Sunday morning or does it need to be more reserved? Is it okay for the worship leader to have that big beard hanging down? I don't know what's in there. I mean, I don't know what he's got. Is that, is that allowed? Or should we all have big beards? What does the Bible say about how the church should look? 
Well, weirdly, and you'll see this as we go through Scripture, it doesn't say a lot. The Bible is actually pretty silent on that top sort of surface layer of how the church should look. The Bible allows the leadership of the church a great deal of leeway in the way that we present a Sunday morning. Sometimes it is is a good idea to have a more formal service. To meet in a big room that has large, beautiful, impressive architecture. Sometimes that's great. That's exactly what that community needs. Sometimes they need something that's a little bit more dressed down. The scripture gives us leeway to do that. What's exciting, and probably what we probably need to spend more time on, though, is that once you get past that surface level, the scripture is adamant about what we should teach and believe, what we should love, what we should obey. The word of God is still absolute. So at our church, we say that the word works What we mean by that is if you're new here and you're trying to figure out, how do they do things? Why do they do things that way? Who's in charge? Our answer to that will be the Bible. What the Bible says we do, what it says not to do, we try not to do. The Bible says this is the way the church should be put in a try to follow. I say try as though we're not going to try and monkey with it, but we're often going to fail because we're not perfect people. But the Bible is our standard. The Bible is where we're going to come from to understand how the church is going to be built so that it's healthy and so that it grows. In the stories to this point, God has given us through Christ this great commission to go make disciples. It says in Acts 1.8, we're supposed to be his witnesses. And the church is doing that. It's sharing the gospel and encountering the culture with the truth of a resurrected Jesus. And that back and forth of the culture is going crazy. There's people by the thousands joining the church, and yet there's oppression from the government against the church. And in the passage that we're going to see today, he had the creation of one of only two offices that the Bible gives for the church. So we're looking for the structure. We're trying to understand what the church is and how it works. We're getting clarity that increases as we go through the book of Acts. As the Holy Spirit leading the church gives them one thing and then another. Helps them slowly understand what it is to be a church, to make disciples, and then to go and to plant churches. And where we're at today, God gives the second of only two offices within the church. There is the office of pastor. And then today where we see the office of deacon. That's all that we see in scripture. That's all that we have at Hope Church. If you look around at Hope Church, you're only going to find pastors and deacons. And the reason is because the scripture gives us a clear and yet pretty scanty structure for the church. And the reason that the deaconate begins is because of some very realistic problems that take place when humans try to gather together and do this Christian life. The first thing that happens, we we talked about last week, there's all this um, increased persecution of the church by the local government. And then, after they weather that storm and weather it well, so the church continues to grow, they have a new problem, which is division within the church, specifically around the distribution of food for those that really need it. So we're going to look, let's go together to Acts chapter 6, 
Start in verse 1. If you have a copy of the scriptures, big numbers of the chapters, smaller numbers of the verses. We're going to start at chapter 6 and then work our way down. And let's start reading together in, in, in verse 1. It says, Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews, because the Hellenist widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. What he's saying is, there were groups of Jewish people who had come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, and they formed that first church. But to this point in the story of Acts, all of those people are still Jewish. And yet, within that Jewish group, you have people who are in and around Jerusalem, and they speak Aramaic. And then you have other people that are from further afield. They're still Jewish, still ethnically Jewish, still religiously Jewish. And yet, they speak, as their first language, their heart language, Greek. They're called the Hellenists. And the, the widows from both groups were getting supported by the church, and yet there came this, dis, this disturbance about whether or not each of the groups were getting what they needed. And if it was possible that one group was getting, favorited, getting favoritism over the other group. And so the twelve summoned together the full number of the disciples, and they say, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas. Great names for your kids if you ever want to use Prochorus. <laughs> Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. They set before the, uh, these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And this solution, look what happens. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. How exciting. You see this happen over and over again in this book of Acts. When you're reading the scriptures, you want to look for things that are repeated over and over again because that's a way that the author is calling your attention to something important. When you read through the book of Acts, they have something come up, they have a way that they deal with it, and if God approves, if they do what God has commanded them to do, then you see growth, their numbers increase. There's an increase in praise and worship, an increase in confidence in the gospel, and an increase in number. Now it's possible. There's all kinds of churches that are big gatherings of people. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they're great churches. The Bible says that we have itchy ears. And you can gather together people that will scratch your itchy ears. And if you do that, you can grab, gather together a big crowd. But that's not what Acts is talking about. talking about. The book of Acts is talking about a healthy thing that's beginning to really grow. Healthy things do grow. And this healthy church, as God allows them to have some horrible thing, some hard thing, some divisive thing get cut away, will then grow. The blessing of God on the solution that they come up with. And again, remember the problem. There's a distribution problem about the, the, the food where the majority seems to be getting favoritism over the minority. That's problem number one. But the text introduces a second problem. And this is kind of what I want us to focus on. 
it's possible for us to spend a whole lot of time on what is it to be a deacon and how does that look and how does that structure fit within the decision making or the leadership or the service or the activity of a church. But that's helpful and interesting to like two people. For most of us, what we can gather from this text, what's important or helpful to us from this text is the priority system that the scripture here that Luke gives us for the way that we should see what's important and then what's most important. So that's what we're going to focus on. This possible solution that was given was that the disciples should just take that over. That the apostles who are in charge of making sure that the scripture was being understood, was being taught to the people, and it was being explained to the community. That those people were then going out and being effective witnesses. That the disciples themselves were going out and being effective witnesses. And the prayer ministry that they were doing should slow down slightly so those apostles could take upon themselves the additional task of making sure that the food gets to the right people and so that there wouldn't be division in the church. That was a possible solution. And yet, we see that the apostles see that possible solution as a further problem. That if they did this essential, wonderful, godly task... They would be taking what what God had given them as most important and lowering it down. And so God gives them the idea of these deacons, these administrators of good reputation filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom who are especially suited to the role. It's not some sort of hierarchy in the church. We're the body of Christ. God gives to each of us different things that we are to do. And God gave to specific deacons, specific roles, specifically in this text. The problem was about these Greek-speaking Jews feeling like they weren't well cared for. Well, the way that they addressed it was they took deacons from those Greek-speaking Jews. It's possible if you look at the names of those uh, uh, deacons that they put forward to understand that those were all people that would have been Greek-speaking. Their names were the names that you would have in that Greek-speaking community. So they took people from the minority, they put them over the whole of the distribution to both the majority and the minority, and then they showed that, okay... These divisions that are starting to crop up happen in every human organization are going to stop. But only if we can address that issue while still keeping the main thing the main thing. How do we want to put this together? Well, what I want us to see are the the two big priorities here to love each other And to love God. And then I want us to make sure that we have those priorities in the right order. If you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for a long time, this may seem a little simple for you. But let me just humbly ask you to see the Bible and the text of the Bible as for you. If you say, no, this is a little bit simple. I think I already know this. Can I just ask... Is your life a life of growth? Are you producing in your life the kind of fruit that God calls you to produce? If not, maybe this is a place you can go. And for those that are outside the house of faith, that are here because they're guests and they're just trying to decide what it is that this place believes, is this a place that I can be involved with? Is this something that I want to to understand more fully? Well, for you, hopefully this is going to be very helpful to see why it is we do what we do. 
So, first, there is this command to love each other. The church at this time was doing a great job of it. Acts 4, so if you go back just a little bit, says, The full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. That kind of unity that we're always hoping for and never seem to have. One heart, one soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. This is not advocating communism, but the decision that you love the other people in the church enough that you're willing to sell whatever you have in order to care for the other people in the church. It says in verse 33, And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So both things are taking place. They're loving and caring for one another, and the apostles are doing their job of giving the testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There wasn't a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. How beautiful is that? It's perfect. If I compel you to be generous, are you really being generous? Are you just being, in the best case, obedient? And in the worst case, a coward? That's not what's being described here. What's being described here is an overflow of love. The kind of way that you feel towards your brother who's having a problem. Maybe not that one brother, but that one brother that you love, that you're really close to still. If something happened... Yeah, you might sell a second vehicle in order to help him make some payment. Whatever it takes, he's your brother. The scripture is describing that the church, this early gathering of people that were one together in Christ, had that same feeling towards each other. They had this command from God to love one another, and the church was taking care of the people in the church. It's a little bit easier to do that. Can I tell you that? When we try to serve the community, it's a lot easier for us to serve people in need who are already part of Hope Church. Do you know why? You get it. You can just trust them a little bit more. You're not as worried about being scammed. Somebody here can't pay the power bill? Okay, let's help you out. We know you. My kids know your kids. It's a little bit easier. But the Bible doesn't only call us to love and care for one another, but to love and care for the poor. Early church was known as a people that cared not only for their own poor, but for the poor in the community. And where did they get that idea? They were just following the example of Christ. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus is at a party. This big banquet party. And he teaches all kinds of things to the people that are around him about what he's seeing and the upside-downness of what he's seeing. And one of the things he says in particular, I think, applies. He says... To the man who invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. Who do you invite over if you're not going to invite over your friends, your brothers, your relatives, your rich neighbors? Who's left? But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame the blind, and though they can't repay you, you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. 
For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Jesus is saying that our new economy, once we are put into this kingdom, once we now have a whole different set of beliefs about what will happen one day, you are able to be so open-handed with your generosity, whether it's your house or your time or your food or your money, that you can give to people that can't give back. And in fact, that should be the hallmark of the people of God. Is that you? The idiom of the time, Jesus would make these categorical statements. So that of course, you have to understand a little bit better. He would say, hate your father and your mother. Unless you hate your father and mother, you can't be part of the kingdom of God. What is he saying? He's saying, in the way that they would say in Aramaic at the time, if you don't love God so much that all your other loves could be compared to hate, then you won't enter the kingdom of God. And when he says here, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors to your house, does that mean that when we had a little birthday party for my seven-year-old and we invited my mom and dad over, that we were disobeying Jesus? Well, no, I don't think so. But is the balance of your life an attempt to use what you have to bless those who will bless you back? Or to bless those who can't bless you back? And trust that God is going to pay what they owe you, if not in this life, in the next. If, again, you thought this was going to be way too simple a sermon, Is your life evidence of a love towards those who can't love you back? Or are you doing as well as you can just to show love to those who are already fun and smell good and can bring good sides when they come over to your house? I don't know. Something we have to think about. God has commanded us to love others. And in this text, what we see is that unassailable command from Christ has to be secondary to another command. And the other command, of course, is to love God. This is the ministry of the word and prayer. It says in verse 2 in Acts chapter 6, and the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples together and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Let's take just a second to listen to how that Sounds. Can you imagine being one of those people and hearing the apostles say that? Oh, so you're too good to serve tables, but we have to do it? Really? Doesn't that sound sort of stuck up? Wouldn't you imagine that most people would rather be stuck in a coffee shop or a library somewhere with big piles of commentaries learning about the Word of God in order to teach the Word of God to people. Don't you assume that most people would rather be spending a a lot of time in prayer than to be out in the streets distributing bread crusts to widows? Doesn't it seem like one is a little cushier than the other? And yet, God has commanded that the disciples keep two the main thing. 
We get it all the time at Oak Church. People assume that the pastors should be the ones to do everything. When I lived in Tennessee and I was pastoring for a little while, people there were just a little bit more confrontational. Everybody in Utah is so nice. But in Tennessee, they would just say, so you pastor the church? Yep. And that's your job? Yeah, that's what I do. Oh, okay. So what do you do the rest of the week? Uh, well, and then I start trying to describe it, and they're like, because Sunday, I mean, you're there for like an hour, and then you're just, the rest of the week happens. What are we paying you for? That's what they don't say, but they're kind of asking. (laughs) And it's the same thing here. I think people either wonder, or they just assume, hey, everything's got to get set up, and everything's got to get torn down. Why don't the pastors take care of that? You know, we got all of these passion projects that you're talking about that we need to be out in the community doing. Why, why is it our job to do that? Shouldn't it be your job? I mean, what are you here for? Well, for the ministry of the Word. See, what the Scripture says is absolutely essential is the preaching and loving and understanding of the Word of God. Man, if you look at just the way that we set up our Sunday morning services, why is it the case that the majority of the time is spent in this where we're going through the Bible and we're talking about it? And I say we. I'm talking about it to you. Why don't we spend more time with the band? They're really the fun part. God, they sound so good and they look great and they're just really energetic and they're very accomplished in their musical skill set. Why don't we just adjust a little bit the proportions? And while we're at it, there's a lot of better songs than what we sing on Sunday mornings. I mean, these are fine. In fact, I think they're great. I just don't know them super well. I really love songs by fill in the blank. What if these guys with their excellent musicianship would just cover some of those? I mean, I think more people would come to the church if we had some Billy Joel covers. (laughs) Uh, Just like any musician you say is going to be stupid. But like, oh, you know, what what if she sang some Mariah Carey or something? Uh, Whatever popular people like today. (laughs) Wouldn't that be better? Well, it might be a little bit more fun or attractive. But it would mean compromising what the scripture said is most important because we're not here for a nice experience. We are here to meet the living God. So when we prioritize the word of God and we make everything that we do here related to and almost restricted to the word of God, What we're doing is introducing you to Him. And how do we make that connection? John 1.1 says it beautifully. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. The Scripture is clear that when God speaks, He's showing you himself. His speaking is not primarily so that we know the rules he wants us to follow. The speaking that he gives in scripture is primarily showing you himself. 
And what is that primary expression? Why does John have that weird analogy of the word being Jesus? Well, Hebrews 1 clears it up a little bit. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. God is communicating through His Word Himself. And how is He most accurately, fully, perfectly communicating Himself? Jesus. What do I mean by that? I mean the life and teaching of Jesus. And what was the focus of the life, ministry, and teaching of Jesus? His death for us. See, in the gospel, we have perfectly displayed the incredible holiness of God, which requires death for our sin, and the incredible mercy of God, who substitutes for our death the death of His own Son. Oh, when we come here to Hope Church, and we spend time in the Word, We are hoping that you will encounter, meet, get to know and feel the love of God. Because that is what you need. So yes, we can't compromise. We must love others. In the church and outside of the church. We're going to. We're going to bleed for it. The Colorado City thing is going to be really, really difficult and very expensive. But we're doing it because we are commanded by God to love others. And... The priority will always be the word. The word must win. And if it does, that will help us avoid the tyranny of the urgent. Have you heard that phrase before? It's the idea that whatever is most necessary right now, whatever is loudest right now, is what you end up doing. But if you just run from fire to fire... You're never actually doing what's most helpful. What's most strategic. What's most important. You're just greasy in the squeakiest wheel. No, if we don't watch ourselves very quickly, things will start to get above the word of God. And eventually the word of God will just drift down the list. Do you know why? Because I think in our hearts, honestly... While we say, boy, it'd be nice, it'd be easy to just be the guy who's doing scripture memory and and working on these sermons and praying all week. Most of us don't want to be that guy. Most of us will prioritize just about anything else that sounds good and can kind of be in the same category above spending time in the Word. I, I think it's possible. My buddy Bill, when we were back in college, he knew when he had a big assignment due because all of a sudden, all the dishes would be done. How are those related? Well, he had this like overwhelming guilt because he knew he needed to study. That was what he needed to do. That was the good thing that he was required to do. But in his just like need to procrastinate, he would just say, well, but I also need to wash the dishes, which is true. Those were disgusting. And so he'd wash the dishes rather than studying. But what what was he supposed to be doing? What was most necessary? 
Well, I think the same thing happens to us. Because we serve in the kids' ministry, we don't have to take the word of God across the street to our neighbors. Because we're spending time with our kids and teaching them. Hey, they took home this little lesson from Hope Kids and I'm working with them through the week. Because I'm spending time with my kids and talking to them about the Bible, I don't personally need to spend time in the Bible at home. I know I feel it. Here I am and I'm telling you what my job is, what I'm supposed to be prioritizing and doing. And it is so much more rewarding to just devote myself to the administration of the church. Because those things are tasks. And I can do them. I can put them on my little task app. And then I have my little red number. And as I go through the day, I can tap the little circle. And then the little circle disappears. And I've done it. And I feel productive. And yet, what I'm called to do, what I'm supposed to do, we always want to bend worship to do things our own way. And we're going to focus on that really heavily next week, on what happens when we start to try to worship God our own way. Spoiler, it doesn't go well. No, we begin to worship results. We begin to put on the highest part of our priority list whatever seems to be working the best rather than what we've commanded to have on the highest part of our priority list. Matthew 7 is one of the most... Scary passages in scripture. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he's finishing up and he says, On that day many will say to me, meaning judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Productive. Did we not cast out demons in your name? Results. Did we not and do many mighty works in your name? Impressive. Measurable. Comparable. I did more than you. You did best of me. Oh. And Jesus will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Do you see what it's saying? Man, you can do and do and do and do, but the Bible is asking, who do you know? Who do you love? Guess to Hope Church? The, the core message of the gospel is not do, do, do. It's love. Receive God's love shown in the cross for you and return that love by faith. Christian, who's saying to yourself, I don't really know why we're here or what we're doing. It is all going to be motivated by this concept, this understanding of, do I know and passionately love Him? Am I learning about and love to learn about Him? And is that love forcing me to go out into the community and do? Go into the church and do? To guard the structure that God's put in the church so that the Word continues to be the priority. Boy, if we'll do that, then I have every reason to expect that we'll have the same result that the church in Acts had. That not only will we begin to grow, continue to grow, but even the people, it says that the priests began, a great number of the priests began to come. Not only will we begin to grow, we'll begin to grow even with those who are most hardened to our message. Wouldn't that be incredible? Don't you want that? Let's learn to prioritize the word. Lord God and Heavenly Father, I do ask that right now you would just write these things into our hearts. 
Help us not to take a moment to listen to the culture or to the enemy that wants to say, well, let's just tamper everything in its measure. Let's not overdo. Let's not be zealots. Let's not be extremists. Lord, when you give us your word, you give us something to be extreme about. About your, your, the knowledge of who you are, about knowing you, about loving you and receiving that love. I just pray that that would be the heartbeat of Hope Church. That, of course, Lord, it would lead to, lead to our love of others. But that always and forever, you would be our priority. Pray these things in your son's holy name. Amen.